Hello, how are you? Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Good afternoon. Uh, this, these are your hosts, uh, Yawar and Nabil, uh, or some people might call us Nabil and Yawar. Uh, and we are bringing you another exciting episode of our podcast. Uh, Nabil, you want to uh, get us? Tell, tell me, tell me, Yawar, what do you do? What do I do? That's okay. That's yeah. Uh, I actually, you know, try not to talk too much or go into too great details about what, what I do because the risk of doing that is basically boring people to death. Yeah. And not with, not in the sense of Elon Musk's boring company, but rather like actually you will fall asleep. Um, yeah, but basically I'm a software developer. And software developer. I work on computers. Yeah. I, I thought it would be interesting, you know, um, the world is completely going digital. Like so many things have gone digital. And I think, you know, 20 years ago, being a software developer was was um, something that was a very small percentage of the population was was doing. But now we're at a stage where you know even grandpas are are, are trying to pick up some kind of coding because they need it. You know, um, I thought it would be interesting for us to for for us to like talk through what's happening in the programming field because we we love talking about tech, but at, at the baseline is the programming field. And since you are a software developer, uh, you would know more about it than I do. So I'd, I'd love to get your take on like, what's happening? Where are we? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that uh, it's important to, know, to, to an extent to know a little bit of the history as well, to understand where we are and where we're yeah. going. Because um, a lot of things are happening. You, you often hear about software issues in the news. Certainly, you hear about security issues. You hear about data breaches. Yeah. So you might be wondering, what is all this? What's going? What is like? What's the situation, and what, where are things headed? So a little bit of history. Obviously, um, computers really kicked off uh, around the time of the Second World War. <laughs> I'm not going to go into excruciating depths about that, but yeah. basically, uh, major funding from the U.S. and other governments. Uh, uh, caused like what we would say is a Cambrian explosion in innovation and in, in computers and software, hardware, all of these things combined. Uh, where no, now we find ourselves in a situation where uh, we have the internet, uh, you know, so much of our daily lives are driven by software and helped by software and in a lot of cases hindered by software. Um, so, you know, what uh, is the current state of um, the uh, world of software. As somebody, you know, Mark Andreessen, you, you might have heard of him, famous entrepreneur uh, and early internet pioneer, uh, famously said, is he wrote an article saying that software is eating the world. Uh, mm. Now, a lot of things I d disagree with about uh, about with Mark Andreessen, but uh, in this, I think he's right. Uh, software is eating the world. Everything you you know, everywhere you go, you have software. You have. Software in your car now, in your fridge, in your washing machine. Pretty soon, every you know, in your obviously in um, all of our consumer computing and entertainment devices, uh, everywhere think, you go, it's software. And I think one of the interesting things in there, and this is this is pretty much my twenties was spent seeing this happen, is also the shift from software that is on just your personal computer to software now that is cloud connected and interconnected uh, with the in internet so everything is now even if it's just on your computer it will often get updates it will go connect to find more information so i think there's also an element of like 
the scope of 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 things in digitization has suddenly shifted to a very individual basis to a global or a you know you you follow what i'm saying like the cloud architecture has changed uh, the scope of how and what we do with software as well yeah it's funny you know if you in a couple of different ways if you look at it in a sense uh, it's interesting how cyclical this industry is uh, and software in general is uh, because back in the old days um, we had uh, mainframe systems where you had and you had time sharing systems you know famously bill gates uh, was when he was a kid he would have to he was so obsessed with computers but he, the way, only way he could get access to them was by going to this uh, uh, this like giant shared computer system and trying to get a s- small slice of time where he could run his programs on it and he would teach himself that way when he was a kid uh, so you know we had these giant communal shared computers that we would mm. access and then we had the personal computer revolution bill gates himself ironically uh, he's famous for saying that he wants to put a computer uh, on every desk and in every home and uh, he did that essentially now we have computers everywhere uh, and so the personal computer revolution kicked off everybody got their own computer great but now after the internet took off uh, we are again now in the age of the cloud for what as you call it in the bill which is um, uh, if you if you look at what the cloud actually is, it's just a, a, a computer running on somebody uh, running in somebody else's data center. Uh, so really, we are back to the old days of mainframe systems that you connect to. Only you're connecting it to it from your own computer. So we have a kind of a hybrid model now with the cloud. So if you have your own device, you connect to somebody else's device. So let's talk about it from from a from a let's say I, I want to get into computer science perspective. Right. So what you've just described to me is that it's a complicated system, right? There's there, there's there's a lot of different areas that are involved in this. Can you just like talk us talk me through the layers that are there? Like start from like the hardware piece of it, and we don't need to we don't need to go in in depth in 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 any one of the layers, but just a sense of like how do do these things stack up on top of each other to help 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 to to create uh, the services that are there uh yeah you're right there's uh, a ton of complexity and it's all built in the way of by piling on layers and layers on each other so you have layers of hardware and software interleaved uh, and you you find software in surprising places uh, for example let's talk about your uh, standard you know, cloud data center, for example, uh, when you check your email, when you um, check your um, shopping cart uh, or your, you know, delivery order, things like that, uh, you are essentially connecting to software that's apps that are running in the cloud. And the cloud is, as like I said, these uh, really maintained by these really uh, dedicated teams who uh, are set up these uh, data centers, giant buildings full of computers where they're one of some of their biggest concerns are just getting energy into these buildings and the computer systems and uh, making sure that they have enough supply of cooling energy coolant so that the computers don't overheat because yeah. they're running all the time they have to be running up every yeah. single hour minute and second uh, and they require incredible amounts of maintenance you know you have yeah. to Switch out hardware. You should, you should know that I've, I've done data center design as well. I've designed a tier four data Nabil, center. what haven't you done? You have done, done so many things. <laughs> a, it was a little project, but I've I've done this as well, and I know and and I know what goes into like. So, those are the building blocks of the cloud. Yeah, if you need a nice, so 
a tier four data center is a building block, you need a 99.9 .9, uh, 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 availability. availability, percent availability, and you need to have a redundant connection. To put that in perspective, 99.9% uh, .9 of availability is about a, maybe a couple hours, maybe less, maybe an hour, about an hour, less than an hour of downtime per year. Per year, and 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 that means you need to have the physical redundancy. You need to have the energy redundancy, so multiple sources of power coming in, uh, and then you also need to have the communication redundancy. So you can't have just one phone connection going out. Uh, we had a satellite uh, radio connection to the to the main data center as well uh, for the design that we did uh, as a redundancy. So you know, like there's a lot of like hardware that actually goes and infrastructure that goes in in terms of maintaining that. To ensure that you know, at the end of the day, you as a as a customer, when you see your phone's not working or something's not working, some app is not working. Yes. Yeah, some app is not working. That's the part where that we're talking about. That's what gets affected ninety nine percent uptime. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's a, it's incredible. Uh, before in the olden days of the web, what people would have to do is they would have to maintain their own servers. You know, you would have to buy your own computer server. You would have to buy your own. Uh, rack back in the older days, uh, you know, I was talking about the good old days. Like I was there, I wasn't actually, you know, old enough to do that kind of stuff. But uh, there, there were stories of people who have done that. Uh, maybe you have, maybe uh, you know, given your ex extensive experience. Um, but anyway, what happened with after uh, somebody uh, came up with this idea, and you know, by somebody I mean Amazon Cloud Services, Amazon Web Services, and they made a pile of money by doing this. Uh, they said that well, basically, what if uh, you know every uh, uh, for for the Black Friday, uh, every year for Black Friday, we have this intense rush of uh, sales and traffic to our site, and we have to plan our capacity and build it up and build it up, and we have to have huge amounts of servers uh, just to be able to handle this Black Friday sale event. So make sure we don't go down uh, when people are trying to shop, do their shopping. But the rest of the year, we have almost no traffic, and all of these the server capacity is lying unused. So. Uh, why are we paying, uh, or we are losing tons and tons of money maintaining all of this capacity uh, when almost all of it is unused almost throughout the year? So why don't we rent out this capacity to other people who need it? Uh, it was a crazy idea when they, you know, when they initially thought of it, and uh, they had to fight for it, from what I understand. But uh, after they launched Amazon Web Services. One of the first offerings was just uh, S3, which is a simple storage service, just like putting files in the cloud. Putting, store your files in the cloud, like pictures, videos, you know, any files, small to large. Uh, well, after they launched it, it kicked off like, another campaign explosion. This is one of my favorite phrases, by the way, campaign uh, explosion, of uh, innovation in um, startups, which uh, suddenly, all of a sudden, they didn't have to worry about uh, maintaining their own hardware. Uh, for their um, apps, and all of a sudden they could just rent out the cloud um, capacity, compute, uh, storage, uh, database from Amazon or whoever, and uh, set up their apps. So now we've got one field, which is okay. There's an environment that needs to be created. As if I'm telling somebody, a new person who's jo joining the software field, I can tell him you can go into the development of this environment. That's cloud infrastructure. Now there's things that are done on the cloud. Um, and can you talk me through what are what's the back-end stuff that's happening? And then we'll walk to the front-end. And then what I would also like to 
talk through is some of the languages of the back end and front end as you as you and some of the capabilities of those languages um, uh, in there. Yeah, absolutely. So what goes on behind the scenes of uh, an app uh, that you might want to use? Uh, let's say you like um, one of these apps, like let's say Facebook, right? Uh, what goes on behind the scenes? Well, Facebook is maybe a little bit of a bad example because they're at such a huge scale that uh, they have to essentially maintain their own cloud. They can't use somebody else's cloud because they have such gigantic scale. Uh, but uh, architecturally, it's not all that different from uh, what many other startups are doing, even at a tiny scale. What Facebook or all of these apps do is they have what's called tiers. They have a multi-tiered structure of their applications. And the tiers are mm, separated into front-end and back-end. Uh, front-end, back-end, uh, storage, database, uh, these kinds of like uh, niches which are, which are talking to each other to, to build up your entire application. The yep. front-end piece is what you see. Uh, the back-end piece is what you don't see, which is the piece that's on the cloud on somebody else's as, as server, somebody else's computer. Uh, what are these back-end pieces? These are continuously running pieces of software which have to deal with requests coming in from front-ends, which is apps on people's phones. So let's, let's, give me, let's, let's walk through an example. Let's say I'm ordering something on my, on my phone uh, using an app for a restaurant. Ordering a delivery uh, on your phone app. Yeah, 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 perfect. So yeah, what happens is that um, you have your app on your phone, you place the order. So the that's, order goes. That's, that's the whole placement of the order, etc. is actually happening on the front end side of thing where, where I'm interacting. And exactly. so there's, there's certain languages that are specifically made for front end interaction. Can you, so, so the ones that I know about is uh, HTML5 and JavaScript. And the way I think about HTML is it's very snapshotty, right? Uh, and being snapshotty means that you know it it, it gives you a, a, a page, and that page is not very dynamic, which for some things it's very good for, such as you know if you want to store uh, small pieces of information in a, or display small small pieces of information which which don't need to move about. Let's say you're doing a very official kind of thing like the government of Canada does. Uh, it might be very useful for something like that and make it look authoritative, etc., etc. Whereas JavaScript is more dynamic in nature, as I as I understand it, and it's great for like fun functionality and things where where you know they you know you press something and things need to change, uh, less authoritative, more more interactive and, and immersive kind of experiences. Would you would you say that that's the case? Uh, roughly, yes. Uh... To understand HTML and JavaScript, uh, you know, in a in a in a you know valuable and a, a deep way, I would recommend looking at the history of these languages and why they were created. So HTML, Hypertext Markup Language, was created at this Swiss uh, research facility called CERN uh, by this guy called uh, Tim Berners-Lee, and it was based off of earlier technologies which had similar structure of the files. You you would Put in certain commands in the files in the HTML files, but uh, what he did was he had, and what he was trying to do is like you have to look at what what his intention was with HTML originally. It was a very simple language, uh, hypertext markup language. It's all in the description of that uh, acronym, which is to say that he was looking to publish his uh, articles online on the internet for other scientists to easily access, 
and he was looking to mark up the articles in certain ways to make them easier to read. So, for example, he would want to bold certain parts, he would want to italicize, he would want to have headers, much like you do in a Word document nowadays. But the most important uh, innovation that he created was to have something called a hyperlink in HTML. That's the single biggest innovation of HTML. Uh, you have a document and you have a piece of that document, uh, some text inside the document, some a few lines, maybe a paragraph, which is clickable. And when you click on it, it takes you to some other document. And this was a, uh, you know, again, I'm going to use the word Cambrian explosion again, the phrase Cambrian explosion, because I consider that important. Because before, when you wanted to cite you know, academically cite, you know, do a citation, you would put a footnote at the end of your paper or document or whatever. But now you would put it directly in your same uh, paragraph or line where you're talking about it and you would just hyperlink it. And the user could immediately jump to it and see exactly what you're talking about. And then they would come back and resume reading. Anyway, so hyperlinking was the central concept of HTML. Uh, but, but the rest of it was, it was just a simple markup language. Uh, cool. Uh, you know, you got your bold, you got your uh, blinking text, you got your italics, headings, all that stuff is great. Uh, now, what happened? What happened in a few years was that people suddenly started realizing, hey, we can actually put a lot of stuff on the web online, and people can easily read all these documents. Uh, but now people want to do more complicated things. They don't want to just read. They want to consume. They want to interact. Uh, so, what if I put on a an online store and allow people to order uh, from my website. Uh, I want, and I can drop ship them uh, whatever I'm selling, right? Like I'm, I'm a merchant. So, uh, if you want to do that, uh, well, uh, in the early days of HTML, you can't do that. So you just uh, put your email address on your web page, and you say, hey, if you want to order something, just email me here, and I'll I'll ship it to you when you send me the payment, send me a check, whatever. Uh, and people quickly figured out, well, what if we made this better? And so HTML got some capabilities for sending commands from the page, not just like browsing pages and clicking and going to new pages, but now actually you can send a command from a page mm -hmm. to the server which is hosting the page. Like for example, place an order. Uh, great, another sea change, another revolution. You can now send commands back to that server, to the computer which sent you the page. Uh, you can place orders, you can do shopping, blah, 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 all that stuff, great. Now, where does JavaScript fit in here? Well, people said that, okay, now we can uh, do interactivity, but it feels still a little bit too, um, uh, uh, kind of like, not a great experience, because uh, you have to click on this thing, you have to send this, submit this form, you have to put an order or whatever, and then it, take, and it reloads your whole page, uh, and, uh, you know, you can't... Um, uh, you have to keep talking to the server again and again for every piece of interaction that you want to do. What if, um, but nowadays people, thanks to Bill Gates and the PC revolution, uh, they have these powerful computers. Why don't, why can't we take advantage of these computers that the people already have? Uh, what if we could run some code on their, their computers instead of having to call back to our server and run code on our server all the time? we would save so much traffic and uh, server expense, server costs from dealing with all of these requests. So let's uh, ship a little bit of code to the user's computer uh, and let it uh, run on their computer and do some cool stuff on their computer. Well, now you have something like JavaScript and JavaScript uh, was created by this guy called Brendan Eich at um, uh, Netscape, right? Uh, in like, a, 
so what, in a legendary feat of coding of like 10 or 11 days and they told him uh, at the time java was the craze right java was uh, everywhere it was in phones it was in devices it was in tivo whatever all these um, embedded uh, java was the big in, in web and embedded systems so everybody was like we want to be like java let's you know if we can't have java we can we have to make something that looks like java so people are attracted to our stuff uh, so they told um, uh, Ben and I, uh, well, listen, uh, we know that we told you to do, you know, to make this language, and we know that you made this really cool language that uh, is based on theory and whatnot. But we want to call it JavaScript, and we want you to make it look like Java. So he had to basically then go in and change it to look like Java, and so that it would appeal to mass audiences. And so that was the origin of JavaScript and running. Uh, code on your users computers. So Here's how what I'm understanding. So there's a cloud where where Servers live and they do something for the back end Then they communicate to the front end which is on your computer or your device and there's some interactions that happen over here as well Now we've talked about the cloud and we talked about the front end what happens on the front end. So we place the order itself, right? Uh, the selection of the item uh, is being is happening on the front end on my phone. Add to cart, yeah. For example, add, add when cart. you want to add an item to your cart, you no longer have to send a command to the back end. Yes. Uh, you can just do it on, on your own computer. Yes, and and so I've done that. Now that I have done that, and, and what, what the difference between what HTML and JavaScript is, in essence, is how often do you communicate with the backend to confirm things or update things because JavaScript stores it on the on your device itself. JavaScript runs code on your own device. Yes. 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 So your all your menu and your prices are are stored on 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 the device. That's why you don't have to double check. You're able to add everything. And now I press place order. Now a command is going via through sent by JavaScript to the backend. What's happening on the backend? Now explain to me what's the backend, what languages are used over there, because we've done a bit of cloud, we've done a bit of front-end. I want to cover the back-end, and then we're going to talk about the interconnections of all of this. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the front-end, um, you place the order, you click the button, the order goes through to the back-end server on the cloud or wherever it is, and now what happens here, what's going on? So uh, on the back-end, um, uh, when we talk about the web and web technology, uh, you have to realize that <clears throat> it's a lot, it's, it's conceptually, you have to think of it as very similar to a, placing a telephone call. Hmm. Uh, so you pick up the phone, you dial a number, and then you hit call, and it places the call, and the, um, the like, like you know the the sounds or the electronic there's, there's signals. A, there's, the a signal. hand, there's a handshake that happens. There's a handshake that happens and there's signals that go yeah, back and forth. Yeah, there's a the confirm, confirmation of like, hey, yeah. are you the person I'm supposed to be talking to? Yeah, 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 exactly. Right? If we're talking about person to person uh, communication, uh, you, what do you say? You say hi, uh, and then the other person says hi, hello, and then you say, are you so and so, and then the other person says, yes, I'm so and so. And then, and then I say like, okay, I'm going to send you an order. Please, please write it down yeah. and place it for me. And then you say, yeah, I'm gonna yeah. Uh, do that. So you have to realize that what's happening on back, uh, the communication between front end and back end systems actually looks 
a lot like that, just in a digital form. Digital. It's form. a lot yeah. like placing a phone call and placing an order, but just digitized. And so, and so now, if I'm at the back end, I'm the guy receiving the call. Mm-hmm. I what what would I do once mm-hmm. I get the call? And, and yes, and, and the analogy actually uh, you know, continues very nicely there as well. So traditionally, if you're if you're on the phone call and you you just got somebody just gave you an order, what you, what are you going to do? You're going to write it down in your order book. Okay, so you're going to write it down in your order book, and then uh, after you hang up, you're going to go and go into your warehouse and, um, you know, st- kick off the process of packaging up the inventory and shipping it off. Or you're going to delegate it. You're going to tell somebody to, to do it for you. Yeah. So w- the backend systems not work uh, very much like this, but just in a digitized way. So, for example, you have a system in the backend in the cloud or the server. Uh, which is writing down the order, or or we call it saving or committing the order to the database. Uh, nowadays, we have databases which can track many different kinds of data and information, and order books are one of them. So orders, and um, you know, so you save this information in the database, and then you kick off the process of somebody fulfilling the order. Or somebody, some other backend system uh, comes online, maybe instantly, or maybe in a few hours. Some people like to run their jobs every periodically, maybe once a day, maybe once a, uh, once every few hours. And, 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 and in this case, because it's a restaurant, we're assuming it's, it does it within the five minutes scope because it's a restaurant. Yes, I forgot we we're talking about the specifically the restaurant case. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so in the restaurant case, right? So. Uh, you you write down the order you 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 send it to the to the back of house to the kitchen uh, they're going to prepare it and you also uh, confirm it with the client that hey the order is on the way uh, yes so you, so, you, so you might uh, you know in the olden days you might uh, uh, you know give them another call and tell them hey we've just sent somebody over you, you know they should be at your place in about uh, let's say 20 minutes so I, I heard four or five different elements in there. I'm, I'm going to ask you to talk through some of the languages mm-hmm. of, of these elements. Mm-hmm. One was security. Yeah. One was the delegation and, and processing. Mm-hmm. One was the storage aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And one was the communication aspect of it beyond the security, just the back and forth communication. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of these are handled, as I understand it, uh, by different types of environments like APIs mm-hmm. and some of them are handled by languages like Python. Mm-hmm. So just a bit of understanding of like what's happening over there, a bit of like a map for, for that particular piece if you could, or in terms of languages. Yeah, so in the back end, uh, there are many systems which talk to each other. If we're talking about a restaurant system, for example, the order, uh, the system that just took your order, uh, it's going to uh, uh, put it in the database, it's going to do a bunch of things, and then there other systems might kick in and do some other things. Now, when I talk about systems, I'm talking about really software, uh, software applications and services which are running on the database, in a very on the cloud server, in a very similar way to on which your apps run on your phone or your computer devices. Uh, in, the, in a very similar way, there are these specialized softwares which run on cloud servers, and which do all this order processing system, um, for, for in this case the restaurant food ordering system. Um, and these uh, applications, these services are uh, 
where do they come from? They're, they obviously they're not magic. What happens is that people write these software systems, and they create them, and then they deploy them onto these uh, server hosts uh, on the cloud or wherever they are. Uh, but the, the process of deployment, there are many different ways to do it. But essentially, what happens is that. Uh, when you when it gets deployed, it ends up on the server host in a form that it can be executed by the machine, and so it keeps running on the machine, and it keeps waiting for orders to come in. It keeps waiting for events to happen. Hmm. Many of these systems nowadays are what you would call event driven. Hmm. Uh, they just are running continuously and waiting for events and orders to come in and reacting to the events and orders hmm. and such and so on and so forth. And so they trigger other events in reaction, and other systems pick up those events and they react to those. So it's very much uh, we are living in an event-driven asynchronous world. And and so this this basically becomes what APIs tend to do, which is, uh, you know, it's uh, API stands for application programming interface. Yeah. Programming interface. And sorry, I tend to forget why I type. <laughs> That's just me. I have I have uh, fish memory sometimes. So API stands for application programming interfaces and a lot of the listening and the communication is done via APIs as push and post. So, so that's one element of it. Um, then there is, there is also, of course, the, the actual transactional, you know, two plus two, add these together or multiply these or, so that's done, that can be done by the coding language itself, like Python or Scala or, you know, you can have functions for that. Um, and then there's the data storage uh, element of it as well, which you just, which, which you just mentioned. Um, I'm going to flip this question around because uh, I'm, I'm trying to get, get, get at uh, some of, some, some things, take, take out some things in terms of that directionality of somebody starting in this field where they can be going. So what would be the top five languages in your opinion to learn right now? Interesting question. I would say Python, JavaScript, SQL, Java, and perhaps uh, PHP. And can you give me... Uh, I'm talking about from a purely mercenary point of view. If you are looking for work, if you're mm -hmm. looking to just start making some money, then these are the languages you are interested in because these are the biggest, hottest, uh, most uh, uh, popular languages according to many language popularity can, rankings. Can you just uh, walk through what the use cases for each one of them are? Sure. Uh, JavaScript, we mentioned earlier, is a language for programming front-end uh, systems. Uh, the pieces uh, which the, the parts of your application system which interact with users so incredibly important uh, and Python uh, very useful for back-end systems as well as for data science systems data engineering systems which is obviously such an incredibly important uh, technology today um, SQL uh, is the grandfather granddaddy of all data engineering and data science languages it's before you had your Pythons and your other languages you had SQL, which was the you know the OG. And there, there's a lot of legacy systems that still work on SQL. many legacy systems, many new systems. SQL has undergone a kind of renaissance in recent years, yeah. where it has become the de facto 
uh, lingua franca of uh, database and data engineering systems and pipelines yeah. talk to each other. Uh, very important to learn. I think one of the most important languages you will learn whether in your career, uh, whether or not you are a programmer. If you know some SQL, you are, your brain will yeah. expand. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, there are many people who are not programmers, who are actually managers, who get into a situation where they have to deal with data, mm -hmm. and they're told, well, learn SQL. And they yeah. end up having to learn SQL. Because make a dashboard. Make a dashboard. You need to make a dashboard. Well, okay, where do I get the data for the dashboard? Oh, it's in a database. Oh, okay, uh, yeah, I guess I need to go and figure out how to get yeah. the data from the database. Yeah, yeah. And so they don't have formal training, but you yeah. know, there's enough material on the internet that yeah. you, you can, um, you know, that is one of the other things is none of these languages are necessarily hard. They're more syntactic, you know? Yeah, uh, that's the thing, right? Uh, learning a programming language is not difficult. Uh, it's not the learning part that's difficult, I want to emphasize. It's the mastering part that's difficult. It's the Malcolm Gladwell, 10,000 hours of repetition to master any field, right? It's yeah. uh, similar to that. Uh, or it's like uh, what um, uh, this character in a Kung Fu TV show once said. Um, how long, you know, he was asked, uh, how long does it take to learn Kung Fu? He says, well, only a lifetime, maybe more. Uh, so we did three languages here. Yes, uh, we touched on three. So the other one I was going to say is Java. Java is still incredibly important in backend systems and enterprise uh, systems because it's um, used by many, 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 many heavy duty uh, you know, businesses, commercial enterprises everywhere, in universities yeah. everywhere. Uh, the other one is PHP. PHP is incredibly popular because it's a simple language that lets you get a lot of stuff done. It drives many e-commerce systems. So if you're interested yeah, in e-commerce... In fact, in fact, WordPress, one of the most commonly used uh, 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 CMS, content management, e-commerce system, uh, is basically built on PHP, so there's always a demand. WordPress is built on PHP. Uh, Wikipedia is built on PHP. Facebook uh, was originally, and many parts are still built in PHP. Many, many important systems are built in PHP. So I'm, I'm gonna. So there's, I think, uh, five minutes to discuss two final topics. Yeah. Um, one of them is, and, and I think this will elucidate on 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 the point that you're to, you were talking about the ten thousand hours that it requires. Uh, one of the topics is no code programming. No code programming is is something that's come up uh, recently. Uh, your thoughts on that? Uh, uh, it it offers a levels of abstraction, but it also I think really speaks to that point about what you're actually doing when you're programming instead of just the syntax. What beyond the syntax you're doing? Because no code, you don't need to learn the syntax anymore. And I think the other similar kind of aspect is uh, the ability of ChatGPT to write really nice lines of code, but they're not in an environment. So you need to still transport them into an environment. So, you know, your thoughts on these two, two points. I think these are interrelated points. And the basic idea behind this point is to, uh, uh, to make the uh, really, uh, to cut out the middleman or to try to cut out a lot of the middleman to automate away the work of uh, building software, um, which is to a large extent uh, why, the, you know, many people say that there is a scarcity of software engineers in the industry. Uh, people can't hire enough software, software engineers, which is again, um, kind of like ironic considering the fact that we're having mass tech layoffs right now. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so point is, uh, people are trying to automate away these jobs 
the same way that they've automated away many jobs in many industries, it's nothing new. This is kind of like the human condition. Anyway, so the, the point is, is it viable though? Like my opinion, right? Uh, no code, low code, sure, they might have their place in demos, prototypes, um, just to kind of prove a prove, proof of concept. But I don't think that they have a um, solid foothold in productionizing systems, systems that you would actually want to make money from um, or do, that you would seriously consider to be uh, safeguarded against security risks, risk of data breaches and hackers and uh, malwares. Uh, right now at the, at the very least, and I don't see a future where they would because no matter how powerful language learning models get, uh, and you know, like ChatGPT, uh, they continue to make very basic mistakes that it's true, it's true that humans make mistakes as well. Uh, humans are famous for making mistakes, um, you know, starting from the Garden of Eden, but onwards. But uh, we have the capacity to uh, kind of check each other's mistakes. Uh, if you get two language models to check each other, uh, odds are you're not going to be, uh, you know, they're not going to be fixing each other's mistakes. Uh, you know, just that one way to put it. So, no code, low code systems, yes, they do have their place. Language models, yes, they have their place. It's not a very large place right now. There is still a need for the skill and mastery of software engineering. Engineering is the key word here. And that's what I actually wanted to bring out as well, because I think I've played around with both of these things. And, and to me, they helped me quite a bit. The, the place where they helped me is accelerating the coding, but it is not production level coding. It is absolutely about being able to take an idea from my head and bring it to real life without production level coding with, with, with you know, no code is going to be slower than production level because there's a level of abstraction that, that the no code is taken care of. And chat GPT still requires you to be able, you can write the code, but you need to insert it into the right environment. And so it makes my work faster, but it doesn't take away from the fact that I have to still do the engineering piece, the logic piece. The So it might make the syntax faster, uh, but it, does, it, it, it might make the syntax easier and therefore my work faster, but the performance level is is something that you're losing or could be losing, and you need to have that engineering hat, I think. Uh, so just just um, reflecting your point. Anyways, I think this covers, uh, in my opinion, a very broad kind of, and I'm thankful to you for, for, for giving me this perspective on, on things that there's some learnings for me as well in terms of like how software development is done. So thank you very much. I think this covers this episode too. So we'll see you next time. Thank you, sir. I always enjoy uh, these uh, discussions we have. Awesome. Take care. Till next time. Take care. Bye-bye.